Thank you all for joining me on another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm very glad you're here. There's a ton of content, a ton of podcasts, and so it really warms my heart when someone listens to my show. And someone who listens to my show, oh my gosh, my guest today, Dustin Milligan, who plays Ted on Schitt's Creek, the hit show on Netflix, which everyone loves so very much. (laughs) I sort of sounded like Alexis there for a minute. Um, But he, Dustin, had listened to the podcast before agreeing to be a guest, which I think is really cool. And he liked my podcast. So he's one of the listeners who knew. Ha ha. Anyway, this was a great episode. We talked and talked and talked. I think the, the total time we spent together was almost two hours, which is really cool. And we got down to some tough topics like um, the concept of celebrity and social media and body image and toxic masculinity and addiction. So it was, we really circled um, all of the, I don't even know, what do you say? Circled all the barrels? No, (laughs) maybe. I guess we circled barrels. We can say that. Um, But had a great conversation and I think you guys will enjoy it. Guys, girls, ladies, men, whoever's, whatever. I say guys all the time and I know I need to stop. (laughs) So whoever you are out there, I think you will enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I just think we need to do a comedy tour together. (laughs) But then it's just another thing that we should do. So we talk about that as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dustin Mulligan, who I also call Justin Mulligan. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Everyone, Dustin Milligan is here. Hello. Hello. Welcome. I'm excited. I have to tell you, I have never considered myself dyslexic. I know I'm not dyslexic, but your name, I want to call you Justin Mulligan. And I don't know why. I mean, every time I see it, I'm like, his name is not Dustin Mulligan. It's Justin Mulligan. I can't tell you how many times like uh, d- during press and stuff like that, because usually like any kind of press events for shows uh, or, or jobs, no one cares who you are. No one it bothers. And and the, the amount of times I get Mulligan or like Austin or <laughs> like, honestly, and I'm, I'm just like, OK, as long as you get the like Austin part, uh, the rest, <laughs> I, I, I can't blame you. I get who Margaret. Mar- oh, really? Interesting. Because okay. you know who Margaret Atwood is. She wrote The Handmaid's Tale. Indeed. And she's a famous author from Canada, I believe. We share yeah, the same yes. birthday. That's yes. all we share. Um, but I get Margaret all the time. Like, we're so sorry we can't join your podcast, Margaret. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so I've always made a joke about it. Like on my Facebook page, I say, Meredith, not Margaret. And then I'm hit, I'm sitting here. I keep writing stuff about you. I'm like, well, Justin. And I'm like, his name is not Justin Meredith. Don't screw this up. And so I just thought I'd go ahead and out myself because then if I slip up and say, you'll know that it's not. It's I'll just know me. to stifle my rage, my stifle. offense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
hold your celebrity <laughs> rage down. And I want to start there because I love, first of all, I adore you. I think you're great. I just finished Shit's Creek 45 seconds ago. It was okay. on the TV. I was like, like all the seasons. So I got through all of it um, because I was, I'm the slowest binge, binge watcher ever. And um, I did my homework. I don't do a lot of homework on my guests. So you should be scared because um, yeah, <laughs> it should be scared. I've did my homework. But anyway, what I learned about you is this whole concept of celebrity and how it kind of, you, you, you feel a little weird about it. So let's start there. How does it feel to be a quote unquote celebrity? And where do you stand on all this? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you. Thank you for, for doing homework and all that. That's, that's, that's such a touching, <laughs> I personally find that so, so touching. And, you and, sure? uh, uh, I also did some homework. I've, I've listened to you. I'm a fan of yours. Oh my gosh. Uh, I listened to a couple Stop. of your podcasts in preparation for this. I really like what you do here. Wow. Uh, I, uh, I have heard you, uh, interview actual celebrities, people who I'm, I would consider celebrities. I don't consider myself a celebrity. I think it's such an odd, um, an odd thing because, uh, you know, I think it's all in the eye of the beholder, I guess, but I, I just find it so strange how, uh, you know, for example, Schitt's Creek, it's a, jo a job that, um, Definitely has gotten a lot of attention. A lot of people have have watched it and seen it. Certainly, a a huge success story for such a small Canadian show. Um, but it, it was indeed something that was just a small Canadian show. And I think, especially coming from Canada, a lot of actors like uh, we don't. We always have that mentality in our heads. It's like, well, we're all just like like everyone in Canada is from a small town in a way. Even if you're from Toronto or Vancouver, there's like there's this mentality of just like small town mentality. Uh, because we're always, you know, you, you can feel sometimes like the sort of overlooked uh, redheaded stepchild vibe uh, of the rest of the world compared to the United States, where the real okay. celebrities are, where, where real Hollywood exists, uh. where all that kind of stuff happens. So it's always strange then when there is uh, any kind of success out of Canada that reaches a level where people, audiences um, consider you uh, a celebrity and i find it very odd then um with social media how we are witnessing sort of this evolution of what celebrity is compared mm -hmm. to i think when you and i were growing up and and celebrity was a very clear-cut thing of like red carpets academy awards right um, tom cruise it, yeah sure or like george <laughs> clooney like a lot of the 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 yeah. you know there was this it's almost like royalty. I, you know, I, yes. in Canada, the royal family was very much, I think, very much more present uh, in our um, pop culture and our media than it was in the States. Um, and that was always something I was really fascinated with was like, oh, like our in North America, our version of the royal family kind of is Hollywood. It is the celebrity culture. Um, and it's interesting because that's changed now where there almost are no more sort of movie stars the way like I grew up sort of right. aspiring to be uh, very naively, I think very ignorantly aspiring to be this like version of a, of a star that um, I was sold by uh, magazines and, and, and entertainment shows and stuff. And so uh, again, it's, it's an odd thing to now be faced with that myself where I don't, 
I don't, I don't do a lot of red carpets. I don't go to events. I don't have a publicity team sort of pushing me uh, in a lot of ways that I think the things, th those are the things that usually re are required in order to achieve a celebrity status. Um, but with social media, it's something where it can just kind of happen just because people choose to make right. you a celebrity or because you post a million selfies uh, and uh, that just get the likes and then you have a million followers or whatever. And that makes you a celebrity. And it's really this strange thing where, you know, I'll get DMs on social media and they'll be like, I don't usually reach out to celebrities, but will you please make a video for my mom's 61st birthday? <laughs> or like, and I'm just like, first of all, no, but also I'm not a celebrity. I was uh, going to say, oh my gosh, what do you do to that? It's constant. Yeah. It's constant. That one specifically really? is constant. The, the <laughs> hey, I, I know this is weird, but can you please make a video for so-and-so's birthday? And I, I've honestly, I've, uh, I did it one time. I've done it one time ever, but it's something where like literally every day someone asks you to make a video for their, their, really? their mom or their sister or something. And it's, again, it's this interesting thing where uh, you, I grew up, like I said, kind of not knowing quite what it meant to be a celebrity, but thinking that that's what I wanted to be. And once I started working and you sort of see behind the curtain, how the sausage is made, you realize like, oh God, that's not, <laughs> I would never want to be that like that's there's no privacy there's no anonymity there's no um you don't get to be yourself you, you really mm -hmm. don't ever get to be yourself and i think that's what i'm finding challenging is the more you have people coming to you saying like i i love you on this show uh or like you know i think your character is like the perfect man. And then they say, I think you're the perfect man. And wow. you, you start to realize like, oh, this, this is, if I'm not careful, I, I will not, if I play into this, if I feed into this idea of celebrity, and if I support this notion that, you know, audiences are free to think of me and my characters that I play as, as one and the same, uh, I lose my identity. I, I, I lose uh, who I am, uh, at least in the public sphere. And then you realize that you, that you have to start playing a role outside of yourself every time you, you would do a red carpet or every time I do something like this. It's like I, I have to always be mindful of like, oh, well, what's my audience going to think? Do I have to play into these characteristics right. that they're expecting of me? Um, right. And there's this strange thing of ownership, this strange thing of then you are owned or, or or audiences feel like they own a part of you simply because they love you or they love your show well yeah they never love you they only love what they think you are uh but it has nothing really to do with you um but again then this notion of celebrity gets that's thrust upon you and i believe if you are presented with that opportunity uh you have a choice do i do i play into this idea of celebrity. And if I do so, what am I compromising? What am I sacrificing as a result of that? Yeah. Sorry, that was so, very rambly and, and long. And no, ranty. no, that was so good. I, I had so many thoughts while you were saying that because I always joked, you know, sometimes and I am, if we're talking celebrity, I'm Z list if I'm on a list at all. You know what I mean? Like, I, well, that's how I feel. I, I, I'm, I'm the, I, the exact same way. But you're like, 
Okay. You're so you can be F I'll be Z on our list of celebrity, whatever. But you know, I used to go to Ironman races cause that's how I got like yes. my foot in the door. Right. So, so I would be like wheeling my bike and people are like, Oh my God, you know, and come up to me. And, and I just thought it was the, I mean, it was, I was honored, but I was like, dude, I'm barely going to finish this race. <laughs> Do you want to go have a cheeseburger? You know what I mean? It was the weirdest thing, but it was what I did. What you said that I really picked up on was celebrity, you know, whichever list we're on is someone else's perception of you. And when I changed, like when I quit triathlon, when I lost some weight, when I quit drinking, when I think I made people feel better about themselves when I was kind of a mess. <laughs> um, people were, they didn't like me anymore. And I thought, yeah. oh, this thing, this celebrity, this, whatever it is. Oh, this is what's not real. God, she's changed. She's different. We don't like her anymore. It's gone to her head. I'm like, if anything, it hasn't like, I promise you, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've just stopped drinking. Like that's good for me. That's not, you know, continuing to drink and be another character is the problem. You know what I mean? I am returning to myself, you know, saying I'm an addict and I can't do this anymore. And, but it's very interesting when, when you said it's what people think of, it's their perception of you. It's the character you're playing. And I was playing a certain character, even doing triathlon. It's like, oh, I'm this busy mom doing triathlon, but that wasn't who I am. Like, that's not who I am at all. No. And you know, I, um, uh, so I, uh, just to sort of jump into it, uh, because I think we actually have a lot in common. Uh, I smoked weed for 15 years, almost every single day, mm. maybe not quite 15, like 13 from basically from age, like 18 to well, 2017. Uh, so a long time and, yeah. uh, like not, I, like I would never smoke at work. And every now and again, I would have a job that would take me to a place where it was, uh, uh, legally prohibitive to smoke weed every day. Right. Uh, and that, that was something where, uh, I, for the longest time, didn't realize how I didn't realize what I was suppressing. I didn't realize what that was, the identity that I was taking on, that I was creating for myself through, uh, what I can now call an addiction. Mm. Uh, but for a long time, I was not able to identify that. And I had this very, um, uh, I don't know if serendipitous is the right word, this very, uh, sort of powerful, uh, experience where, uh, one day I, I woke up, this was two and a half years ago. Now I woke up, uh, and I had a bit of a stomach ache. Uh, I didn't smoke weed that day. Uh, I, I the stomach ache kind of was lingering a little bit, got a little bit worse, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, just to get real graphic here, uh, I was like, I, I got to throw up. And I then couldn't stop throwing up for the next hour, every 10 wow. minutes. And there was this, uh, what I learned, I went to the hospital uh, and then I ended up being hospitalized uh, for eight days. And uh, it was this thing called, uh, I think, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, but essentially it's like cyclical vomiting because you have a, a overload of 
cannabis in your in your system. And it's something that is like sort of anecdotally diagnosed. And to be honest, jury's still out with me, whether that's really what it was. And I don't know, I'm also like very skeptical of like pesticides in in, in meat and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that could be but the point is, is that I had this kind of uh, uni- the universe kind of slapped me in the face with this thing where it's like, you're not happy. You're suppressing something. You're, you're, you're kind of just playing this role in your life. Um, and what I realized is that a big part of why I was smoking weed was because it allowed me to not face, I think a lot of the realities of my job mm. um, that I didn't agree with that weren't sitting right with me. Um, also just my job in particular, you know, this idea of celebrity, even, you know, again, I, I don't, I, I don't believe that this is what I am, but, but even before you ever reach any status that somebody would call you a celebrity, there's this kind of general understanding, sometimes unspoken, sometimes very directly articulated by your team or by people around you or, or people you're working with or publicists uh, for a TV show or a movie or something you're working on where it's kind of this understanding where it's like, yeah, but the goal is for you to be a huge star. The goal is for you mm. to be, in my case, it was to be uh, the guy, the leading man, which I never felt like that's, I never was attracted to those roles. I, I, I love comedy. I, I love, I would way rather be that weird side character that just pops up for five minutes in the movie and just does some weird shit and then goes, you know, yeah. like, uh, like Steve Buscemi in like an Adam Sandler movie or something. Yes. Like that. You know I mean, just like this weird sort of lazy eyed cameo that he does. And then he's out of there. Uh, and, and what I realized is that the weed was sort of me tuning out all these voices saying like, you know, you, you just keep playing this role of, trying to fit into this leading man box that you don't really want to be in. Just, you know, smoke the weed, chill out, don't think about it. Day after day after day after day after day. Um, and was that it out of the gate? Cause you said you started at 18. So was it like you smoked weed for the first time at 18? And well, I was in the first s- time, but that was when I started smoking like or, all the time. All the time. <laughs> all yeah. the time. But was there this feeling like this makes me feel normal? Because I know when I had booze for the first time when I was 17, I was like, oh, okay, this is how I was meant to feel my whole life. Like it was, it was like, whoo, I'm alive, you know? Yeah. Well, okay. So that, yeah. Cause I I hear some people talk about like, uh, once I drank for the first time, I felt like myself. Yeah. But then what you just said after that, where it's like, you're kind of like, like for me, like smoking weed, it was almost like, uh, it, it was something that creatively I would, I would, I was totally liberated. I could yes. be, and, and just, and, and that for me is a big deal. It's like, I, you know, I love to uh, like write. I love to make like, you know, growing up my, uh, my cousin and I who grew up in the same town as me, we would be making um, like weird videos for class projects and, and for school and, and stuff like that. So it's like uh, the, it awakened and sustained that kind of energy of, um, yeah. I am, I am free. Right. Which is the, the trap, which is the cage. Exactly. Cause that's when, and when I went to college and started writing, I was an English major and I had to write papers. I would just start, I would get loaded at like four 30, read whatever I needed to read. And then by nine, I was ready to write. And I just turn in that shit. And then a yeah. week later I get it back and, you know, a plus this is genius. And so I developed this persona that I was going to be this like 
writing drunk you know character because that was how I got my superpower and so when I got sober I was like couldn't freaking write you know for a very long period of time it was yeah, like and, and that was a thing for me this. as well yeah it's like you 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 and and the thing is that there's especially around marijuana like the messaging is out there that it like like uh, you know, I smoke a little bit of weed and it just helps me, you know, to, to be a bit more goofy and a bit more creative or yeah. like you hear it all the time. And I think this, look, I'm, I'm not uh, like anti-weed by any means. I mean, like that, that's do what you got to do. Just for me, right. it went from, I think being this, this uh, exciting thing that made me feel creatively liberated to being a trap wherein I could, couldn't not be high. Um, was that too many negatives there? You get, no, you get I what I'm saying. It, I think it worked out. I think you had Came three, so it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and it was this thing where then I realized, you know, what I, uh, this is five years before I had this incident that put me in the hospital where, where I then just quit cold turkey and I haven't smoked since. Um, but I realized where I would start to just sort of question like, yeah, why am I smoking so much? Do I need to smoke so much? And I would, you know, pack a bowl and I would get high. And right before I, I like spark the lighter and I'm about to take that first, um, that first uh, smoke, I would have that little thought in my head just being like, you, you don't actually want to do this. You mm -hmm. don't actually need this. And then the next thought would be like, tomorrow I'll cut back. And I, um, I became addicted after the weed. I became addicted to promising myself that tomorrow I would fix it. Tomorrow I would be myself. Tomorrow yeah. I would finally, you know, stop. Um, and again, just to bring it back around to, to the celebrity stuff, a big part of that was feeling like I wasn't feeling like for, for whatever reason, um, the thing that I, the, the, the projects that I wanted to do, the acting I wanted to do, the writing and stuff that I wanted to actually do, it wasn't available to me yet. I had to wait it out and continue sort of going through this leading man trajectory. And then once I was a success in that, then all of a sudden I would be able to show who I really am. And, and so it was almost like this, this, this strange dialogue going on constantly in my head about just like, uh, uh, like, you know, this isn't right. This isn't who you are, but also, but just wait it out, man. Like, yeah. and you'll get there. And also tying into all that were these ideas. And it, it's sort of related to sort of feeling like you have to be this kind of leading man guy is also just like what it meant to be a man, uh, which was also, I think, something that I... You know, I grew up in a very small town and, and you have sort of pretty rigid ideas of what it means to be a man. And, uh, you know, I was always this like artsy drama kid, not really fitting into those, but still because I was like, well, I have this dream of being this leading man, like these guys I see in movies, like these action heroes or, or whatever, these romantic leads. So I need to behave like that and I need to embody that in order to get to this goal. Um, and again, so it's like the weed was just sort of, compressing that and, and, and allowing yeah. me to keep that quiet. Uh, and not, not surprisingly, I've, I've, I'm very lucky that I've had the career that I've had, but I also was completely unfulfilled for most of it.
I can count yeah. like maybe five jobs my entire career that I had fun on, that I loved, that brought me joy. Wow. Oh, there's so much there. I mean, one thing that it's interesting, you had that sort of moment that I think you said serendipity that landed you in the hospital, but I had a similar one that made me quit drinking and I quit cold turkey and didn't look back either. And it was, I was sitting in a target parking lot and I had this very real sense that I was going to die. Like just this voice, it was like, you're going to be dead in a year. And then it was like, someone walked up to the car, said, you're going to be dead in a year. And they walked off like a Steve Buscemi character came up to me, (laughs) (laughs) said it and exited left, you know, and you know, I was so grateful for that moment, but it was very scary. Um, and then it was interesting. And I think I heard this on an interview that you were on where it happened to me when I quit drinking the idea from other people, the comments about how much alcohol was part of who I was, was really shocking. And I had to deal with the shame around that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember when I told my mom, I quit drinking, I said, I'm about to tell you something and I don't want to hear it. Cause I knew she had an opinion. Like yeah. <laughs> I knew she had an opinion about her daughter drinking. And, but it, there was a lot of that for many years that sort of bubbled up. Like, yeah, oh, I mean, I was the we don't guy. know who you are. Yeah. And a lot of people, like, it was this weird thing where people would ask me like, are you okay? Not because I, uh, potentially could have died in the hospital because I lost like, uh, and this is not an encouragement to anybody, uh, but I lost like like 15 pounds uh, just lying in that bed because I just was constantly, not, I couldn't keep anything down. Wow. Uh, and my body was just like, again, I, I really do consider it this like cosmic intervention. Like my body was just like purging all of it out of me in the most painful way possible. So you'd remember because you uh, so said I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, afterwards people would ask, "Are you okay?" Uh, and and I'd be like, "Yeah, no, like I feel better." And they're like, "No, but I mean, like, are you okay? like, how's it going? Not smoking weed?" Because like that was they never mm. knew me not stone. Um, and also there was this interesting thing where people couldn't they didn't know. Like even my my wife didn't know, couldn't tell if I was or wasn't stoned because I could function so normally. Yes. I right? had, and we then, had a party one time and someone said, get her another drink. She's loaded. And I was totally sober. Yeah. And then you're just <laughs> like, like, oh, what? Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> don't bring me a drink. I'll drink one right now because you're driving me crazy. But but yeah. yeah, but it was this interesting thing where it's like, yeah, you realize how much of your just on a, per- these are, you know, your close friends where it's like they, you know, I was a guy who always had joints, you know what I mean? I yeah. would always, and a lot of times like other people would be drinking and I would just, you know, I would just be smoking. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it just becomes sort of intertwined with, with who you are. And you're just like, Oh my God, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. And you realize yeah. again, that it's, it is even that, that being able to sort of identify that where it's like, I don't want to be that person. And yet that was who I was for so long. That's hard. You realize, oh, that was someone in front of me. That was like a shield, a character standing in front of the real me. Uh, and I, I feel very grateful. Yeah, I was given the opportunity to actually, you know, say goodbye to that that person yeah. and and just sort of step out as myself. Well, and what that was is. that transition like? Because I know, I know for me, it was about three years after I had my last drink that everything sort of woke up and I was like, 
oh, this is why I drank. Now I'm feeling these feelings. Like now the emotional sobriety. Oh, here's the shit you were covering up. Here it is. It's your trauma. And it's this. And, and it takes a while, right? Like it's it not. Did. Yeah. Because I and I. I'm still, I think, feeling it. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think it's yeah. it's. One thing that I. Look, I, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, there's a, there's a the very dangerous thing in, in, I think a lot of industries, but uh, in the entertainment industry specifically, people say like, don't make it your life. Don't make the job your entire life. I'm sorry, too bad. I don't know how to not, uh, it's everything. I love, I love what I do when I love it. Um, <laughs> That's very specific. Well, because there's, there's, I mean, it's something my mom used to always say growing up is like, you know, very supportive of, of my sister and I uh, wanted us to do whatever we wanted to do in life that made us happy to find joy. She was always talking about like, find joy in your life. Um, and you know, you're, especially as a teenager and, and a young adult, when I was first starting out in this industry, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to find joy, mom. After, after I, you know, I have to <laughs> grind it out I'm for a while. Miserable. <laughs> yeah. And now I, I really realized just sort of the, uh, how powerful that that statement is because that's that's what I'm discovering as I'm now uh you know far more clear-headed and and almost completely sober now is um yeah I'm discovering joy in my daily life that I was either suppressing through through weed or suppressing through I think arguably another kind of addiction which is the addiction to climbing the ladder of, of success in, in my job, um, which is, can be very damaging and it can be very, um, very difficult to sort of step outside of, yeah. uh, cause it's so competitive and it's so, you know, it's this promise that you're only one job away from, you know, that big, that big break. And then all of a sudden, and it's just like, yeah, I guess you're only one job away or it might never, ever happen. And in the meantime, maybe you should try to find some joy. So I, um, I write a lot now, uh, hasn't manifested into anything. Uh, but I love sitting in front of my computer, making myself giggle. Uh, <laughs> it brings me a lot me of joy. Too. Yeah. I love, I love enjoying my own oh my. writing. Like, haha, I'm so funny. I'm so uh, funny. And then also I make music, um, again, right now for no one but myself. Uh, and it's, it just, it just brings me joy. Yes. Um, and, and it's, well, it's, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, one of the things that, that comes up is the addiction and the trying to be someone else and trying to make the next thing. It is the complete inability to be present, right? Like it's, you're Absolutely, living either yeah. in your trauma of the past when you're, you know, drinking or drugging or whatever. And then with the celebrity or the success, you're living in the future. And so to find that the joys in the present like that. And so making yourself laugh writing, or for me, I started drawing Oh wow! a couple great. of months ago. Like I don't draw, but I do. And my, my son is a suit. He's um, 13 and he does digital animation. He's like a super artist, very artistic. Cool. And I start drawing and he's like, what is that? Is it a hat? And, you know, and <laughs> I'm like, no, it's just, and so he'll come and look at it, at my stuff. And he's like, that, that's interesting, mom. It has nice style. Like that's what it'll say style. But I just started doing it because I realized I had to be creative and to be creative on demand. 
was where it was the world I was living in for a minute. Mm-hmm. Like when I was blogging a lot or even with podcasting, everyone's like dance monkey dance. And you're like, yeah. I don't want to be creative on demand. I want to do something I want to do. Um, but it is that desire to just put out something for yourself. And that Absolutely. brings me present. Like I'm yeah. in my moment present with joy when I'm just being creative for no one else. You know, and it's, it's interesting that you, uh, uh, talking about like being creative for someone else. So many people talk about uh, acting and they talk about how it's like, oh, it must be so great having a creative job. And I'm always just like, it is not. It is not. It is not. Someone else writes the words. Someone else tells you where to stand. Someone else tells you basically how to say the words. Uh, oftentimes they're here's the thing I mentioned a second ago, like there's like four or five jobs I can count that I, I was, I loved and brought me joy. And those are also the ones where it was a truly collaborative experience where the people that I was working with were like, Hey, what do you think? What do you want this to be? Let's actually create something together. But for the most part, it's like, Hey, do what we say. I mean, everyone's very nice about it, but they're like, <laughs> you know, do what we say. Like, what do you think about this character? That's interesting. Now here's what you're actually going to do. Like it, it's, it's a very restricted environment wow. and it's not an incredibly creative um, experience. And, you know, unless you find ways to find joy in your life, otherwise, and you're sort of, it can be quite frustrating and depressing when you're like, but no, this is what I love. I love acting. I love, you know, being creative uh, and being engaged with other people. But you realize that when you go to set, it's like, it's not that. That's not what it is at all. Right. Um, and then just to bring it back again, that can be very uh, challenging when then, it, for example, if, if you have a job that you did where the experience itself wasn't great, but then the audience loves it, then you're kind of at this crossroads of like, oh God, like, so now I'm being recognized for something that personally wasn't the best experience, but you have to then decide because everyone's saying like, oh, like you were great. I remember you and that thing and you were whatever. You have to then sort of, you know, there's, there's just a lot of internal kind of struggle and yeah. conversation that goes on where you're just like, well, okay, well, wait, I didn't actually like that experience. I'm not proud of that experience yet. This person loved that thing and then is, you know, sort of applauding me for my work in that thing, but it's work that I actually, you know, hated was, <laughs> hated and like was possibly yeah. like traumatic or like, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of stuff that's loaded there. And again, it's this odd thing where the idea of what it is to be an actor and then compounded by the idea of being a celebrity and then the reality of what it actually is, it's, they're just so far apart for the most part um, that it's, it's a, 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 I struggle with it. I really do. Like I struggle with like, how do I, how do I carve out my own identity when there's these two like incredibly opposing forces um, at play kind of squishing me in, in between, you know what I mean? Well, and I think too, there's also a layer of um, not, I wouldn't say imposter syndrome, but like people saying, well, you have it so good. And I almost feel like there's a self-imposed guilt. Like, 
why am I not super happy doing oh my every God. bit of this? Why, why am I a straight white man succeeding in his chosen <laughs> profession? Not super grateful just to be where I yes. am. Of course, of course. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a, so I have a funny story where I went to this publicity summit and all the major news outlets were there. I was worn out at the end of the day. And this woman from Psychology Today, the magazine was sitting there and she looked like exhausted and annoyed that she had to hear all these pitches all day. I didn't have any skin in the game with Psychology Today. So I just went up to her and my book's called The Year of No Nonsense. And I said, hey, I'm the doctor of nonsense. And she's, she was in her like late sixties. She started laughing. She laughed so hard. And she's like, what does a doctor of nonsense do? And I said, and so we just went back and forth. And she's like, yeah. I want you to write a column for our magazine. And I thought, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> why? You know, it, it turned out they gave me a column. I can write in it whenever I want. That's so great. In a real publication of psychology that I am. And it's called the doctor of nonsense. And I can't half the time be bothered to write in it because I feel like I'm not going to say the things that I should say. I feel like I don't really want to do this anyway. And then I think this is a huge opportunity. Wouldn't anyone in my position be taking advantage of this and running with this privilege? And I just can't be bothered, but there's something that you're saying in all this, that makes me feel so much better because it is, there is something about doing what you want to do and feeling good about it. Um, I mean, life is short. And I don't know what it is, but yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, look, that's just, it is, I, you know, I, I am not a, uh, I'm not a, a wealthy man, uh, but I am not poor. I have never experienced poverty the way so many millions of people do. Right. Uh, and, uh, but you know, in order to pay the bills, a lot of times I have to take jobs that, are just to pay the bills. But it's like, it's heartbreaking because again, it's like the thing that I really want to be doing is literally anything to bring me some joy, to bring me some satisfaction and fulfillment. But yeah, you have to grapple with this idea of like, well, how many people around the world will never get that opportunity like to do anything that they want? They just have to work to survive. And and it's like, yeah, what, what, what kind of asshole am I to be humming and hawing over some cushy acting job that, yeah. you know, maybe it's kind of corny and I don't really love it, but ultimately it pays me better than, you know, teachers or nurses or something like, you know what I mean? And, and look, I get it. Cause yeah, it's, it's incredibly privileged. And it is, yeah. And I get it too. And it's like when I was talking to Mickey Kendall, a couple episodes back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I heard that she, podcast. You know, I loved it about feminism and like yeah. how, you know, traditional feminism is really white women's privileged feminism and yeah. that the women's issues are actually like poverty, education. And, you know, so where we do sit and I grapple with this all the time. I mean, we're certainly sitting on a place of privilege, you and I, but at the same time, there's this weird um, layering. I think like just because we sit where we are, we, there is no such thing as suffering and there's no such thing as hurting and, and unhappiness. And you should just be grateful. And I think that that privileged breeding ground is what breeds addiction. And I think that's what mm -hmm. breeds suicide and that's what breeds suffering at our level. And it's not the same thing. And comparative suffering, I think is, is as toxic as, um, you know, and I definitely want to talk, circle back to the masculinity concept, because I feel like we just kind of flew by that. But, um, you know, this idea that 
addiction and suffering and boredom and us all doing jobs that we don't want to do and don't fulfill us. It's, it's all in this realm of comparing. Um, and, and that's difficult. And it's, I don't even know where I'm going with it. I, I feel like I should just throw in a triple negative to just circle us back. <laughs> but I mean, look, I, I, I know I hear what you're saying. I think it's, uh, I mean, I also like, I, I, uh, this year was like the first year that I started reading books, uh, again, very privileged thing, uh, that I didn't really have to, and I was still able to eke out a living for myself. Uh, I read a book called, uh, uh, People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. And it, look, I, I always grew up uh, uh, questioning authority with respect. My dad taught me to, to question authority. My mom taught me to be respectful to people. So I was, I was always able to sort of throughout my life, uh, I like to think respectfully question authority. This book, uh, though, I think gave me a, it, it was just such an eye-opening uh education in the reality of how, as the title would suggest, the United States was founded and formed and how it operates. Uh, capitalism is probably not super healthy. It's definitely where we're at right now is not the best. Uh, we're in late stage capitalism, which is, uh, I think, why things are falling apart the way they are. And as well, just to, to speak to what you were talking about, I think that comparative and competitive uh, and, and the uh, stuff and the guilt uh, about like, well, I should be working harder or I should feel fine because I'm not satisfied. All of these things are just part of, I think, the manipulation of the system that we're living in where, you know, you're, we're all sold this myth that by working hard, you can achieve your dreams and your goals. That's not true. Right. Like working hard doesn't guarantee you anything. Uh, and, and striving and, and, and getting an education, all these things, it doesn't actually guarantee you anything. Because as we learned this year, the system is not fair, right? It's, it's set up for... Uh, I mean, obviously it's set up for white people to succeed over everybody else, white men to succeed over everybody else. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not a fair system. And yet we're, there's all these messages of, of guilt and shame uh, and, and comparativeness because it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm not happy, but I, I should be happy because of what I've got compared to this person who has less, right. but Am You're I saying this so much better than <laughs> am I working? Am I working yeah. hard enough to deserve this? Do I deserve this? What yes. do I deserve? What am I entitled to? Am I entitled to anything? And it's just kind of this like cyclical or, or rather like a, I, a cyclone of confusing messaging that ultimately is by design to just kind of keep us at a certain level. And, uh, uh, kind of keeping the machine going for people at the very, 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 very top. Uh, the billionaires who made what, $16 billion during the pandemic. You know what I mean? Like it's, again, this is, sorry, I don't no, mean to about this capitalism, but it is, it is something that, again, I learned that this year uh, or rather got a, a much clearer picture of this year. And uh, you start to see um, 
how the 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 trickle down uh, effect of of these things can affect us daily on a on a very personal level and can affect our ability to experience joy and to understand yeah. who we actually are versus who we think we're supposed to be because that's a that's a big thing that I've I've struggled with my whole life and I know that I am not the only one is who am I supposed to be and this idea of you know, you said earlier I think the word should and that always yeah. to me is interesting it's like should I should be this I should do that I should be happy I should be grateful um you know or for me I should be a man I should be strong I should be muscular I should be charming uh, uh you know I should be all of these things without you know, without ever really asking the question of ourselves, like, what do I want? Or just who am I already? Or what Not am I what allowed I want. to want? Like, I mean, it's like, yeah, even yeah. when you say, what do I want? There's like this other voice that comes in and says, well, wait, what am I allowed to want? Right. You know, Which again, is so... that guilt of, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 look, I think, I mean, what a, <laughs> what a horrific year, <laughs> but also uh, I, I, and I, I just feel like it, I've learned so much. Um, and ironically too, this, this thing that I, uh, arguably hate social media has actually brought a lot of this education, uh, yeah. forward for so many people, myself included. Like I, I, um, I, again, I really struggle with social media. I, I find it very, for the most part, very destructive, but at the same time, then it gives so many people a platform that to, to really spread a message that isn't being heard. And, and I love that. And I've learned so much from it this year. Uh, yeah, it's so sorry. True. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, oh, I feel you. I love so much about it. It's, but like 10 years ago when I started blogging, I just had a blog and there was no Instagram and there was no, you have to pay on Facebook to like, it just was none of that. It was different. And, um, I, you know, back to the word should, there's so much that I quote should do if I wanted to be quote successful like curate my Instagram, hire a publicist, you know, and I just refuse. And then the voice in my head is like, if you would just do these things, you know, then your podcast, then your book, then, and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, but I yeah. can't be bought, but deep down, I can't be bothered to write on psychology today. <laughs> I can't be bothered to curate my Instagram. This whole podcast, I, this whole episode is just about you letting down psychology today everyone. slowly and gently. I know. Gonna, <laughs> I bet I get an email that's like, so we're just going to take your blog so, since you're not grateful. Yeah. And then I'll go, oh my God, I'm not grateful. What a piece of shit I am. You know, it'll just feed the machine. But um, it, yeah, it is interesting. You and I are very similar in this like deep rebellion. It's like, I'll show up for this job, but you can't make me like it because I want to yeah. be drawing in my book and writing puns on my computer. You know, it's just interesting that you feel that way. Cause that's how I feel all the time. No. And, and honestly, and like the thing with social media too, is like, so I, uh, you know, I joined Twitter. God, I don't even know that maybe 10 years ago or something. Cause I was told like, Hey, this is how you, sometimes you hear it directly from reps, but, uh, like agents and managers stuff. Sometimes you don't, sometimes it's just kind of this weird sort of general idea that like, if you want to grow your brand, grow your audience, whatever that is, whatever brand is. But it's like, if you want to grow that, uh, you need to have social media, you need to have millions of followers, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I, so I was always just like, Oh God, this is so like, I'm just supposed to put my musings out into a tweet <laughs> and that's gonna, 
Like, who cares what I think? I don't care what anyone <laughs> thinks. Why would anyone <laughs> care what I think? But what was really interesting is um, through Instagram, like, you know, I sort of stumbled through like, okay, I'm going to be posting photos of things. When I joined Instagram, it was still posting photos of things What from yeah. uh, your perspective. It wasn't uh, selfie culture hadn't really blown up yet. Uh, and look, I've posted every now and again, photos of myself. I've, I've fallen into that sort of like needy ego driven, like, <laughs> love me, tell guys, me I'm pretty think? today. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, but just like, you know, making some joke in the caption, like, well, I don't really care. Check it out. Uh, and, and so I've done that, like I, I admittedly, but what I, what I started doing was like, you know, okay, I don't want to play into this idea of what anyone else thinks I should be. I don't want to feed the machine. I, I, I don't want, for example, I get like about once a year, I'll, I'll get some like young kid on Instagram, like too young to have an Instagram account from my hometown <laughs> messaging me asking me like hey how i'm from your town too i'm from yellowknife yeah shout out yellowknife uh, uh how do i become famous like you and i'm always just like ah you don't that's not you don't want to be that you don't like and you know i try to just sort of steer them away from the idea of fame in general and you know find and your... then they just unfollow you and block you They're like, <laughs> i mean Never yeah mind. exactly he yeah, didn't yeah, say what i yeah. wanted to hear but I realized too, cause it's like, I growing up, I saw the same thing. Like I would see, uh, you know, these like CW hunks, uh, you know, <laughs> on the walls, uh, uh, on the walls of, uh, uh, girls that I, you know, had a crush on or was dating or whatever, like, you know, like tear, torn out magazines, stuff like that, yeah. like collages of guys with abs. And so I, I understand that thing of like, oh, that's what I want should want to be that's what i should be that's the man that i need to be in the, like physically that's what i need to look like and then the characters they play okay so that's what how i need to behave or that's what i need to embody or represent for other people and uh you know i've been on a cw show a couple of them i i thought i was supposed to be that thing uh it didn't work out because i i very much wasn't and i had that sort of inner rebellion against that um so when I, to bring it back to social media, I, I now use social media to as best I can. I, I like to use it as a platform to talk about things I'm learning about, any kind of sort of political or, or social issues that I'm learning about. But mostly I use it uh, to show, to, as a platform, to express things that bring me joy. Mm. Uh, and so that usually is uh, uh, photos of my dogs. Or uh, I make these weird uh, family feud memes uh, <laughs> where sometimes on family feud, I mean, since the uh, pandemic hit, they don't do it as much. But a lot of times at family feud, there'll be a moment at the beginning of the show where a contestant will come out and like they have like a special skill or like a dance or something like that. And they do it. And so I started editing those. Uh, it just It's just weird. I don't know. I just started doing it, editing them to music. Uh, and, and just doing these strange kind of family feud memes that just make me giggle. They just make me laugh. Um, and it's a, it's a very conscious choice where I'm like, okay, if social media is supposed to be an expression 
uh, of yourself, but also simultaneously as an actor, it's supposed to be a, a way to uh, build your brand. Mm-hmm. Then I am going to not, as best I can, I'm going to try to avoid falling into the trappings of just posting selfies because it'll get me more followers posting shirtless stuff or what, you know what I mean? It's just like, I just, right. I, I can't do it. Uh, Cause again, it's like, I, I, if there's any little kids that are for whatever reason on my, my Instagram page, uh, which I don't recommend uh, regardless of age, but if, if they are, I don't want them to, I don't want to represent that same, that same thing that I, I think was quite damaging to me growing up, which is, sure you know, these 25 year old guys who are playing 17 year olds on a TV show uh, and, and sort of furthering these uh, physical stereotypes um, that are unrealistic and then harmful uh, for body image and self-esteem and, and stuff like that in general. And uh, yeah, I just, I just feel like, um, so one time, <laughs> you know, this, this thing uh, now, now this her, I saw this little clip on Instagram. It was for this, this, this company called uh, now this, her, this like platform. And they were showing an ad. They were just talking about Willow Smith. Do you know Willow Smith? Yeah. Uh, and there was one clip of it where she says it was taken from, I think uh, red table talk. Uh, and she says, if you have a platform, uh, I'm paraphrasing. If you have a platform, you're obligated to use it. Uh, to use your voice. And for whatever reason, I saw this like two years ago and it just really stuck with me. And now when I look at social media, I just think like, yeah, WWWSD, what would Willow Smith do? (laughs) She would use this as a platform to express yourself and to be honest with your, your audience. Uh, and so that's what I, I try to do because it's, uh, it's really sad. I think uh, it's one thing when you see a lot of celebrities kind of doing the traditional celebrity stuff, but what's really sad is when you start to see normal people emulating that. Uh, and I am very aware that I just said celebrities and then normal people. I, I understand how <laughs> horrific that is, but you guys know what I mean. Uh, that you see celebrities who are like posting all these uh, touched up photoshopped images of themselves uh, who can afford very expensive trainers uh, who are on these crazy unhealthy diets, who are potentially um, doing things to their body that might not be healthy either psychologically or physically. And then you start to see just uh, people who, you know, just really love and admire celebrities doing the same thing to their, themselves and posting the same kind of images. And it's to me very sad. It's heartbreaking because I know either from personal experience or from witnessing it firsthand that when you look behind the curtain of celebrity, when you see how the sausage is made, it's painful, it's traumatic, it's not, it's very rarely authentic to who this person really is. And so you end up having, you know, fans of celebrities emulating the idea of what this celebrity thinks they're supposed to be. And so everybody is just sort of jumping into this melting pot of, artifice yeah everyone is just becoming this together swirling together to become this thing that is so far from reality so far from an actual human experience that it's i don't know yeah just it just 
I find it very I, troubling. And it's it's like, what do you have to do? And I think it's tightly tied into success. Um, the you know the the illusion of success because I know like I went through so when Instagram had the blue check right to get verified, I was like, oh, I'll probably get verified right. I've written two books. I got this podcast. I've been in the news a little bit. No, Instagram refuses to verify me. Now it's a joke, right? Still that to they, this day. Yeah, I'm still unverified. And so oh, wow. I started to rage against the whole thing. Cause I was like, I'm not curating my Instagram. I'm just going to post shit on my Instagram that doesn't matter. And so I started writing these meaningless Instagram chronicles. I took a picture of my Brown bathroom and talked about why it was horrible. <laughs> and I took a picture of this tree on the porch and how my husband and I fought about it. And everyone was like, these are the best Instagram posts ever. And I'm like, I quit. Like, I just quit. I give yeah. up. I don't know what content to put out. I don't know what to do. And that, but that was such a great moment for me because I realized number one, it doesn't freaking matter that I don't have a blue check because they're just not going to give it to me for whatever reason. But number two, I should be able to do exactly what I want with my damn Instagram Absolutely. at any given moment. And who cares? Like it, I have been trying so hard for so many years to achieve what a level of success of what, of like, I don't even know, you know? And I'm thinking like, I've got this podcast I've been doing four years. I got almost 300 episodes. Like who cares what my Instagram's doing? Who cares? Like, I, I enjoy doing this. Just do this, you know? And I don't know why it took me so long to have that moment. Like, I'll just take a picture of a tree on my porch and, and talk about it. Or it's so bizarre, the world we live in. It just wasn't there 10 years ago. And then to raise kids in it, my kids are 12 and 13 and they have Instagram accounts that they're not allowed to use. I post for them because my son does art and my daughter does CrossFit and they, they're not allowed to have Instagram. They're not allowed to look at it, um, but they Smart. want- they want to know how many likes they have. And I'm like, you don't get to look at that anymore either. I'm just posting your content because I just want you to have a, head, a leg up 20 years from now when all your other little friends have been posting theirs. That's This is just me taking care yeah. of you as a parent. But um, I can't let them look. <laughs> no, and that's and see, that's so interesting. Like how, because uh, I've heard from a lot of parents, like they have different views on it. Um, you know, I think... Uh, it, what you're doing is is personally as a non-parent, well, as a dog parent, uh, I, I think uh, that's very smart. I, you know, considering that Instagram, uh, they are making money off of this, like they make money off of it, uh, off of our free contributions Content. to it. Yeah, it's like like and and then that's so interesting too because it's like yeah, what what do I have to do in order to like make this work or or to curate my feed or whatever and it's like for what? They're the ones making money. It's crazy. Yeah, you right? You really just, boil it down. You're like, yeah. I'm a nut for doing this. This is dumb. That's why like yeah, and it's like and I, you know, I post infrequently because I'm just like, you know, I engage on it like with some regularity, but like because your again, Instagram a lot of handle, out there. what is it? Oh, your deuce stain. <laughs> yeah. That got a blue check. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Instagram. Deuce stain is verified. I'm talking to him right now. I mean, can, it's can ridiculous. Can I be verified if I talk to deuce stain? Does that? It's on, no, the only reason that I got blue checks was because I was on TV shows where the publicist was like, hey, we're uh, attached to this network. And, and that's the only reason. I just gotta um, play the game. I refuse to get a publicist. <laughs> No, and look, look, so do I. It's it's that thing where you, again, as you just said, you refuse to play the game. It's a game that you can play if you want, 
Yeah. But the only winners are, well, like any professional sport or something, the only winners are the owners, right? right? Everyone else is like getting hurt and like, you might make a little bit of coin here and there, or you might get some validation and, and have the likes or whatever. But ultimately, like, you're going to leave that bruised and battered and like... I don't know. Yeah, I, it's I think like about a real it too, estate like, transaction, right? We just yeah. we went under contract with our house yesterday. We did everything ourselves and we and the people that bought our house had no agent. So we did it like totally. Oh, cool. Rogue, cool. You know, yeah, yeah. because it's it, it, so we both really benefited because, age, you know, and, and sorry to all my real estate people out there. I have lots of dear real estate friends, but the only one who benefits from that is the real estate agents. The only one who benefits in a lawsuit is the lawyers. Like that's my former profession. So I get that. And it, it is this bird's eye view of, okay, Who's really winning here? Who is benefiting from the shit you're doing? Is it I mean, actually you? <laughs> it's it's my my dad. This is something uh, when I was very young that he he instilled in me uh, was asked the question why. It's it was tied to this this questioning authority thing, like why? Ask the question why. And 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 when he would say like question authority, uh, he didn't just mean like you know the authority of your teacher or the authority of a cop or something like that. Um, he meant like question the authority of systems that are in place and, you know, uh, mob mentality about certain things. Like for example, Instagram, like why, why is it so important to have so many followers? Uh, why is it so important to have so many likes? You know, I think what you're doing for your kids is so brilliant because it's like, yeah, that's not, that does not matter. That is not important in any way. But I'm also uh, not stupid, you know, like it's, it, that's the world we live in. Right. So like I have their names as web domains. I bought them when they were born. I got their Instagram <laughs> pulled out. Like I'm not stupid, but I'm, I'm also not in, and I'd also be a total hypocrite if I'm like, you can't do this. Like, cause I'm on the, you know, but yes, I'm not willing to let them go down that. I don't want my 13 year old being like, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. The, yeah, like, yeah. 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 They start well, and that this stuff. Is, it, it's like, well, and it's, and this is, this is something that I find so interesting too, is, is, um, uh, what's been wonderful about social media is that it has brought, uh, body positivity to the forefront, I think of, uh, a lot of people's worlds. Cause it was just something where, it, you know what I mean? And like, uh, yeah. uh, health and that kind of stuff, but how, how quickly it was co-opted uh, into this, uh, sort of it, the body positivity thing got, got co-opted into this kind of, uh, marketable commercial thing, right. Where, where yeah. it just quickly became about objectification again and, and monetizing yes. on that yes. objectification. And it's so yes. strange because it's, yes. it's, I, I find it, you know, and it, it's something that I think about, I have no, no answers on, but I do think about it quite a bit where it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, I, you know, for me, for example, like I, I love my body, uh, but other people, other people request to see my body <laughs> and I don't love that. Yeah. But, but is there, is there something wrong? Like, do, like, do I feel guilty for having a body that I love and then not displaying it proudly it well it's yeah. just and it's just a weird thing it's like it look the answer to me in that specific case is obvious like no i don't want to do like i don't want to make a habit out of like putting shirtless photos out there uh, or let alone pantless photos but <laughs> uh 
I, I, I do think it's just such an interesting thing because it's like, I also for certain communities and marginalized groups, it's like, yeah, fucking show your body, show the world, be proud of who you are. But then I'm like, again, like me, like uh, a straight white guy. I'm not going to though. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's like, I mean, we've seen enough of them, of bodies like mine. So it's like, it's fine. But again, it's it's just a strange thing where this objectification yeah. and then the the commodification of it, like the value system on, on what your body is worth uh, on these platforms and yes. to the audience uh, and whether that can get you closer to celebrity status, however you want to um, define celebrity status. Uh, it, it's just, it's just so interesting to me. Uh, and again, like complicated and confusing it's and so sad. complicated. Yeah. And so I, when I did triathlon, I, I've always been a bigger girl. Um, and so like my commodity of the triathlon world was me being a bigger girl doing Ironman. Right. Like it, and then it became like part of who I was like, oh, you're the fat girl who does Ironmans. And I was like, oh, I did not realize that was what I was called behind the scenes. Okay, sure. And then, you know, as I kind of morphed out of that and lost some weight and got some muscles and started training for a bodybuilding show, that was weird. Cause it's like, well, do I post my progress? Cause I'm, I don't know, like, is that body positive? And then like you, you go to the other side of it, which is like, just be proud of whatever you got, but go make money off of that. But then over here, you should be thinner. And it's like, and then the super body positive people are like, don't give in to culture that tells us we have to look a certain way, but I'm going to be over here, 700 pounds in my bikini making money, but they can't make money over here, a hundred pounds in their bikini. <laughs> and I just sit here and go, uh, what is even going on right now? Cause I think I'm, I, I don't even know. <laughs> well, and I, what I think, you know, like to zoom out from all that, cause I agree. It's just like, there's so many, I mean, look, if, if anything, social media has proven that like, uh, the, the opinions, the ideas that we want to have about the world, about ourselves and other people just don't hold any, any water anymore because it's like every, yeah. everybody's different. And I think that's just it is that the beautiful thing of social media if you can sift through all of the, you know, millions and millions of posts that are uh, about, you know, conforming to norms, whatever those norms are, physical or, or um, uh, social norms or political norms, whatever they are. But the reality is, is that everybody's got their own thing going on. And mm. wouldn't social media be so much more beautiful and, and an interesting and engaging place if that's what we were leading with? not with who we thought we were supposed to be or who we are when we're intentionally putting ourselves into this box or that box or that box for whatever reason. Yeah. And if we could just sort of push that stuff away and, and just express who we really are, I, I just, I, I mean, what a beautiful thing. What, what did you tell me? How many of us know who we are though? Like, let, well, let me and back I, yeah, there. yeah. I mean, well, yeah. and again, that's just it is, is, you know, I think it's when I, when I say show who we are, I think uh, for me, that means as certainly in my own personal case, it's who I am now. Doesn't yeah. mean that's who I'll be tomorrow. Doesn't mean that's who I was yesterday. It's just who I am. Uh, as we said earlier on, uh, uh, who we are in the now, in this moment, on this yeah. day. Because uh, I think it is, uh, you know, if there is any any great benefit to social media, I think it, as horrific as it can seem and is, 
I think that at the more people are expressing, because I do see that more and more people are expressing their who they are uh, in in a, a less kind of artificial way, a less um, contrived way. And I do think that it is slowly but surely kind of breaking down a lot of walls and barriers about belief um, and sort of rigid systems that we think we have to be playing into um, very slowly, very, very, very slowly. But I do think it's happening. Um, and I think that's encouraging. Uh, so again, that's why, you know, social media, as much as I, I demonize it and, uh, and hate it, uh, I do see some, some good in it because you, see, yeah. you learn and you do see some people who are truly shining their true light out into the world. And it's such a, like when you're posting about you and your husband fighting about a tree on the porch and people are like, Hey, <laughs> just this was cool. Light. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's just the bright light of uh, marital uh, right. fighting. Truth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but hey, people want that, right. That, that, that really is what they want, oh even if they gosh. don't know it. Yeah. Well, and it's like what Steve Jobs is like, don't ask people what they want. Tell them it's like, you want to hear this story, people. You want to hear this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, just like the young couple that came to buy our house yesterday they have a dog, they don't have any kids. And, um, I, they mentioned, you know, starting a family. I said, well, if you want to know the truth about having children, you can call me and I'll tell you the truth. I said, no one else is out there telling you the truth. (laughs) I mean, there are people that do it, but you know, back when, and I wouldn't trade my kids for the world. So let me caveat that. But, you know, 13 years ago, I was, there was nothing to, to tell you the truth about like scary mommy is one of my favorite. And then there's an Instagram kids are the worst is hilarious. Mm. Um, and, but it tells you like the ups and downs of parenting. And so I was just telling this couple yesterday, I was like, you can call me, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you all the good and bad. (laughs) And their eyes got real big. Like, Oh, we don't know if we want to hear that. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, I should just start another Instagram about (laughs) like, that's just what I need to do is busy myself with. Honestly, I think that, cause that's, that's another thing that I know you, I'm sure you're aware of, but like, the sort of the market of parenting advice and parenting blogs and that kind of stuff where it's just like it's so like blown out pretty photos of like kids crafting and and just sort of only the joyous moments on the swing set my god that yeah i mean i remember what i was like as a kid i was filthy and <laughs> screaming all the time so i mean and 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 just craving attention uh so it's like i was not ever uh, I mean, teach their own. Maybe some people are just really good at it, but uh can't imagine. And just the two kids I have, like they would curate for nothing. I mean, my kids, there are there's one Easter photo shoot we have with them precious holding bunnies. But the whole time that was going down, I thought one of these bunnies is dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm watching and I'm like, which bunny are they gonna take out? You know, I could just see my son be like <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> like, oh no. Cause they were little. I mean, you give a three-year-old two, you know, three and a two-year-old bunnies. Like they don't know they anyway. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> let's talk about, um, Rachel McAdams apple. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Rachel McAdams <laughs> apple. Uh, my, my drag persona, uh, that I got to live out on, uh, on celebrity drag race. That is amazing. So I have not, I had not watched the show. I went searching on YouTube. Your persona was amazing. Well done. So how did this, okay. Like, how did this happen? How did you get invited? Like tell people what this is because I, I was not in the know. And this this is, is yeah, this is an interest. This, I'm going to say serendipity again. Uh, so this is a show where, uh, 
it was uh, over Christmas, a friend of ours uh, named Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, who actually has been on Drag Race, and uh, he's a Canadian actor. And he also was on uh, hosting Canada, uh, Ca- Canadian Drag Race as well. Uh, and he was like, hey, you guys got to watch Drag Race. You got to watch Drag Race. And I had only heard of it. Uh, I love dumb puns. Not that there are any dumb puns. I love puns because they're great and smart. Uh, but I had heard... The only thing I knew about Drag Race was uh, that there was one drag queen's name, uh, and her name was Sharon Needles. And I was just like, that's funny. That's, that's funny. I, I could at least watch an episode of this because that alone is very funny. And so uh, my wife and I sat down and we watched, we started just watching out of order. Uh, one of the, at that point, I think there was... 10 seasons nine seasons or something so we just started watching them out of order and i think uh the second episode in first of all if anyone hasn't been exposed to drag culture uh and and uh what drag queens are uh it is one of the most impressive and beautiful and hilarious and smart expressions of self and creativity sort of like uh, married together that I've ever seen in my entire life. I, you know, I'm, I'm a drama kid. So like, I love anybody who's able to do that kind of theatrical live performance thing. I find it just so incredible because it's, it truly is difficult to like win over an audience and like be engaging and entertaining all the time. Drag Queens are pros at that. It's their job. They're, they're professors back. Then they are so funny and smart uh, as well. And they have this like beautiful artistry in their makeup and their hair, but then also like the clothes that they make. But also they have almost every single one of them has some incredible story of overcoming adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually dealing with family members who didn't accept them or kick them out or stories of family members who did accept them and embrace them for who they are. And, and it's just this incredible representation of the LGBTQIA uh, community um, and, and sort of some, some personal stories that, that they share. So again, this show kind of like combines all those things into a reality competition. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. My wife and I started watching and about two episodes in, she turned to me and was like, uh, I think you could do this. And I was just like, I, I would fucking love to do this. Like, this, is, <laughs> like, this is incredible. Like, Oh my God. Uh, and I think a part of that was that, you know, growing up, I, I, I kept on, uh, you know, as, as a, a young boy, I was always like, oh, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a man. And I was always sort of uh, trying to fit into some idea of, of masculinity that didn't quite, ever really quite sat with me. Um, and there was something about this show where I was on top of those other things I just mentioned, there was also this, this beautiful expression of identity outside of male, female, uh, the binary. Um, uh, and I, I just was really, really drawn to that. I found it just so inspiring and, and, and entertaining. And I just, I just loved it. So we watched every single season for the next like two or three months. We just hammered through it all. And so that spring, there's a, a, a convention called drag con. Our friend Jeffrey invited us to go there and, uh, 
I got to like meet all these drag queens in real life who also uh, were fans of Shit's Creek. So there's this strange thing where I was meeting all <laughs> these like drag queens that I was huge, uh, a huge fan of, and they also were fans of mine. And so it was uh, kind of this wonderful exchange there. And uh, again, I was just like, oh, wow, this would be so incredible. And I met one of the producers of the show there uh, and, and was just kind of like, hey, hi, nice to meet you, huge fan, blah, blah, blah. Uh, then I got, uh, my friend Jeffrey told that producer later, like, Hey, he would, he loves the show. He's a huge fan. Shit's Creek. Maybe there's a way to like work it out. Uh, fast forward to that July. I got a phone call. I was out on my deck. I came back to like three missed phone calls from this producer being like, Hey, one of our judges for this show dropped out on this episode last minute. Would you want to come in? We'd have to have you here in the next hour. Like, can you, do it? can you do it? <laughs> And I missed it. I missed the call. And I called up, oh. I called her back and I was like, oh no, like I'm, I'm so, I feel so bad. Uh, I'm so sorry. She's like, it's okay. We already filled it in. And I was like, look, I ideally though, would love to actually go into drag. If there's a way for that to happen, I would love to actually do the transformation because I am, I just am such a fan and I feel like it would be such an incredible experience. And she's like, okay, yeah, we'll keep you in mind. Then three weeks later, I got the call that they're doing this secret celebrity drag race. Uh, and again, I'm like, celebrity? Why, <laughs> why are you calling me? Uh, and they're like, we want you to come on and, and actually do it. And uh, again, I say serendipitous because it was this thing where, you know, from earlier that year to being like, hey, you would be great at this. I'm like, I would love to do this to then all of a sudden missing that call. Yeah. Which actually, because I missed that call, led to them bringing me on uh and then uh yeah a couple of weeks later I was I think yeah like eight days later I was on on set getting this full drag transformation which was just it was interesting because that was an opportunity even though it's it's a very you know contrived reality show it was also something where I was so eager for that experience yeah that I was like the only way I'm going to actually truly live in this moment is by like just kind of trying my best to forget that there's cameras everywhere and there were uh and just trying to actually experience it in the moment uh and I did and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life not only because of the the drag that I got to do and one of my favorite queens Nina West uh got to be my my drag mother or rather I got to be her drag daughter uh, but the challenge, other than learning to walk in heels and having to tuck <laughs> my genitals between my legs and up <laughs> between my butt cheeks, uh, the challenge of the episode was uh, to do a roast of the judges. And I always, you know, when I first sort of started dreaming of like a, a life in entertainment, I always wanted to be like a comedian or, or you know, too. like. Yeah, like that's always what I yes. wanted to do. But I was, I always felt like too scared. Like, oh, I don't know how to tell jokes. I'm not funny enough to, to do that. But here was an opportunity where we got to actually like write a roast and like write our own jokes and then perform them in front of an audience. Um, and in drag. In drag. Yeah. <laughs> in drag. Yeah. Well, and it was, it was interesting because, because of the drag, you know, it allowed me to, it's like a weird transparent shield, right? It, it, it like, it protects you, but at the same time, it allows you to be yeah. more yourself than you have been before because you're like, I mean, what's more restrictive than 
the, the shoulds and shouldn'ts of gender identity, right? Like what's more restrictive than what it, what society is telling us we need to behave like as a man or a woman or, or right. anything else. So, so it's like allowing that to sort of not be an issue then allowed me to just step into this role of comedian. And, uh, and yeah, it was, I got to make these like RuPaul laugh and Michelle Visage. I got to make, you know what I mean? And like, I got to make all these people laugh. And uh, you and were it, beautiful. Oh my gosh. Excuse me. Like, thank you. I was waiting. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you were waiting. You just petted your imaginary hair. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, you were. I'm they were, they like zoomed out on the like a side shot and had your your legs and your butt and your heels. I was like, wow, he is wearing those heels. I mean, it's all it's all padding. Uh, but yeah. Uh <laughs> it, it, it no, I honestly, and I will say this: the most it was incredibly painful. Like wearing heels, uh, terrible idea. I would never right. wish that upon anybody. Uh but it really was just for me, like it was, I think part of, and again, a, like a, a longer sort of journey that I've been going on. I think it started a very long time ago, but I think especially when I quit smoking weed, this journey of me kind of coming out as myself, coming out as who I am, um, you know, which look, it's not that special. I'm still just some white dude, but like, it, my version of that and, and yeah. trying not to sort of conform into any of, of what I, I, I feel like I may have in the past been told I should or shouldn't be. Uh, and, and yeah, the experience was just, I, I, I can't say enough about if anybody listening to this has an opportunity to get into drag, uh, take it, oh take my it. Gosh. Cause it, it honestly, so it's awesome. Yeah, it, it really is. It was, uh, life-changing. Um, and I can't wait to do it again. I have no idea when that will be, uh, but I would love to do it again. Again, with like professional makeup artists and hair people. <laughs> like, you don't want to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah I want to do it at the <laughs> highest level possible on national television. Yeah, if anyone has That's an opportunity right. to do that, you should take it. You should do that. Well, and it's funny you said you wanted to do like stand up. I have been for the last year just thinking I am going to do that. I'm going to do some stand-up comedy. And I've, I've, have you seen Fortune Feimster on Netflix? Yes, yes. <gasps> Every so story good. she tells is my life. Cause I grew up in the South and she grew up in North Carolina, but just, right. I mean, and I think about the stories I have from my childhood and the way she tells it. And, and of course I could never deliver it like she does, but I just keep thinking, I got some stuff. I got some stories, but maybe if I was in drag, I would really have some stuff. <laughs> I'll be honest. So I, uh, after that experience, I was like, I'm going to start stand up. I'm going to do it. And I started writing it and I like worked out like a tight five and like it's tight three. Uh, they weren't great. And my tight three was more like, four and a half. Um, but, uh, it, it really is this thing where like, I, I, it just, you know, like what we've been talking about where it's like, yeah, this is, I've always wanted to do this. And I feel like this is true to who I am or want to be. So why not give it a shot? I was just scared enough though, that I kept postponing going to any open mic nights and then the pandemic hit. Uh, like, and then I was like, yeah, whew, yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, oh no. I really, uh, I would have, I would have guys, I, I was ready, man. But, uh, I encourage you to do that. I think honestly, uh, I, I had tried stand up once years and years and years and years ago with a couple of my roommates, there was an open mic night and we kind of all went up together and did like this weird routine. Um, but it's, I don't know. Do you do a lot of live speaking? 
I do a lot. Well, pre-pandemic, yes. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I love being on a stage and I love yeah. reading the audience. And like my my biggest enemy is the the company, the corporate event that wants me to come speak and they want my PowerPoint ahead of time because oh, I can't yeah. deal. I, I hate PowerPoint. I hate having something prepared because I like to see the audience and I can kind of tell, okay, they're digging this. Let me go here or and so when I have a PowerPoint, I feel constrained. So part of me thinks I would really like stand up, but then there's the, the, you know, the deep dark side of me. That's like, what if I'm shit and everyone hates me? And, you know, which you have to be. I, and that's the one thing it's yeah. like, like you won't be good. Uh, you won't be good, but that's <laughs> fine. Well, and then, and then that's also just going back to the whole thing that we've been, I think thematically what we've been talking about is this idea of like, uh, who cares? Like, if you're not good, if you're not great, if you're not perfect right away, then it's not worth it. And you right. know what I mean? And I think it's like, well, why? Who, who cares about that? Like, just fail. It's great. It feels great because <laughs> you learn my, something and you get better. And my favorite comedians are the ones that just tell really ratched up stories about their childhood, you know? And I'm yeah. like, that's me. I can go do that. And it's interesting because we're moving back to Atlanta and Atlanta has this comedy club, the punchline. And I've been there a bunch of times and to amateur night and stuff. And, um, recently found someone on clubhouse and we follow each other on Instagram and he's in Atlanta and he does stand up cool. there. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, all signs are going to point. I, I'm going to do it. I don't know when maybe, Maybe I don't know. I'm not going to commit, but I, it's a, it's a thing. It's like when something starts to eat at you, you can't brush it away. Cause that's like who you are. You know, those are the signs when you're living in joy and you're finding you're, you're in presence, things will yeah. start to eat at you that you need to do. Cause they're part of who you are. And well, that's and what it, I'm yeah, gathering. And, and, you, yeah. and you just imagine like, wow, what, what would my life be like if I just didn't care about the final product or I didn't care about like how something is received or if I'm offending this person or that person or like what if I would yeah just like living in joy and just like trying to actually have fun and again what if like I accepted that failure not getting it right imperfect rough around the edges what if I accepted and embraced that uh what would my life be like and I think, you know, it's you and I living somewhat in, in the public eye or the public sphere. It's, it's not easy to kind of shake that off. I wake up every day with having to kind of like rationalize like what I want to do and, and what I should be doing, even like with what I'm thinking about, like what I want to be thinking about with, and then what I should be thinking about. Like it's, it's, it's really insidious how, how it just sort of, um, sticks with you and, and can darken your entire day uh, if, if you let it run uh, rampant, yeah. those voices. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly encourage you to do that because it, if, you, if you have experience on a microphone, I'll say this, like part of why I loved doing it and, and why I knew like, okay, this is something that I want to try to pursue in some form or another down the line after doing the, the roast was because uh, when you get to do Q and A's for movies, like after you do a screening for a movie at a festival or something, you get to do Q and A. And I, I always just felt so alive, just like yeah. being funny and, and, and like cracking jokes and answering questions or even like doing red carpet interviews and stuff like that. Ironically, as much as I uh, sort of have a lot to say about you know, the system of, of Hollywood and, and entertainment and, and stuff like that. 
I actually love interviews. I actually love those moments because that is an opportunity to actually just be yourself if you yeah. want. I mean, you still have talking points. You still have to like sell the movie, but you can make that your own. That is an opportunity to actually be genuinely creative and do your own thing. And for me, it's odd, but yeah, like, like I said, like a lot of the jobs I don't love, but those opportunities to just talk to someone and just kind of be an entertainer, which I think at my heart is really right. all that I want to be is just an entertainer in whatever form that takes. Uh, I, I, I love that. I love those opportunities, but well, it's I'm weird too. You don't, oh, I was going to say, I'm surprised you don't pop on Instagram live more. You know what yeah. I mean? Like as much as you love to, to just entertain and be yourself. I mean, I bet you would get a and here I'm like, well, do this. You should do this. And you're like, don't tell me what I should do with my own creativity. But I mean, just because I'm I'm the same way though. I mean, I, I keep thinking, well, I should do more Instagram lives. I do them so rarely when I do people like them, but you can't make me. Um, yeah. But well, I do I also, like to entertain. I, yeah. And there's, a, there's, for me, there's just this battle of like, like, you know, uh, well, is like, do I just want attention? Is this just about my ego? Is there anything wrong with that? is is that so bad it doesn't uh, want attention you know and, though, but right? then it's like i i though the cynic in me it's like i judge so many people <laughs> for doing that and then it's like well i can't do it because you should have heard the things i said in my head about that person right uh so so it's like yeah it is it's it's tricky i i know i do um i do feel like at some point there may be uh, uh a way uh, that I could get on the old IG live. I don't know though. I also, what if think- we did it together? What if we hit the road with the show, <laughs> me and you, the, we can call it something like why bother? <laughs> yeah. And whenever we feel like it we will be creative. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's why just bother? me talking about how stylized your, your drawn hats are. Uh, maybe that's all it has to be. Yeah, no, I like, again, I'm look, I'm open to I anything. Get it. I'm it. open to anything, but I do, I do. And again, it's just tricky. Cause it's like, there's still that voice of like, what's the most legitimate way that you could do it? What's the coolest way that you could do it? And it's like, well, who, right. who's that helping thinking that way? Who's, who's that really benefiting? Not me. Yeah. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. We're, we're so much alike in this. Yeah. I mean, even now I'm like, well, what, what could Dustin, Justin, and I do Dustin, Justin, and I could do, you know, and I'm like, shut up, just be here in the moment. Like quit trying to like convince this guy that, it, cause what'll happen? We'll be like, yeah, yeah, this will be fun. And then two weeks in, we'll be like, we don't want to do this. This isn't where <laughs> we'll like quit our own gig. Like, yeah. like I see where this is going. This is another oh psychology gosh. today. This is another psychology today. Exactly. Okay. So I, we got to go soon, but we can't leave without talking about Shit's Creek. You know that. And yes, I had a friend who said, are you going to boop him? And I was like, what do you mean boop him? And then I watched like oh, finish that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, no, I'm not going to do that, but I just did. You just did. Um, yeah. yeah. That happened. I'm sure so. you're, I'm sure you're <laughs> not tired of that at all, but well, okay. So let, what do you want to say about Shit's Creek? How about that? What do you want to say? I'm I'm as shocked as everyone that it has uh, that it gained the audience that it did. Uh, like I said earlier, like it's always so surprising to any Canadian actor um, when you are a part of something that sees. Uh, I mean, success in Canada, let alone success in the states, let alone success around the world. It's a very uh, rare thing. Um, 
so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I think, uh, you know, what I love about the show is how many people, uh, you know, from the queer community have, uh, have expressed like this has helped me in my dynamic with my family, or this has helped me just with how I'm living my life, which for a silly half hour comedy, that's a, that's a pretty great thing. Um, and so for me to be a part of something like that, I mean, and this is all to say, like getting to work with Annie Murphy, you, you know, I had a, a couple scenes with Eugene Levy, like that is always going to be in my mind too. Like one of the greatest opportunities um, and honors that I've had in, in my career. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just that it has had uh, an impact on people's actual lives beyond just yeah. entertainment value. And I think, I think that's, I think that's something that's, you know, regardless of what your tastes are in, in comedy or in, in TV and in movies and stuff, when something does that, when it has that effect, uh, you have to give it props. You have to, you have to sort of respect that. Um, so I guess that's my thing is I, I have a lot of respect for the show. Wonderful. Is, is that weird? <laughs> no, I respect it too. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, and, and certainly for me, it's, it's been wonderful. It's allowed, um, me to, uh, to confront a lot of my own ideas about celebrity, uh, as, as it has. So, I mean, there's been a, a learning opportunity there as well. Um, for the record, I still don't think I am one, but it's allowed me uh, to okay, really, not a celebrity no. with Dustin Milligan. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the show. show, not a celebrity. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's honestly great. And I think, you know, all, all the awards, it, that's, lovely um but i think uh more than anything yeah it's just the fact that uh it actually sort of reached people on a very personal level that's you can't ask for much more than that well i know you don't think you're a celebrity so i'm not going to say this was such an honor but it was an <laughs> honor i appreciate you taking time i know my audience was like what when they found out you're coming on so um i know everyone's going to enjoy hearing from you so i uh, really well, do appreciate it Likewise, I, I very much uh, dig this too. And, and uh, this is the third podcast I've ever done in my life. Really? Uh, ever. And uh, I, I appreciate you allowing me to just sit here and uh, go on it's these fun, heavily caffeinated it? rants. Yeah, it's no, fun. honestly, yeah, it's great. You need um, a podcast. <laughs> you should do it. You should do it, yeah. Two episodes, uh, no, I quit. <laughs> I, really, uh, I really do love what you do and uh, what you bring to the space. So uh, the honor, the privilege is all, is all mine. Oh. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.